Hey boy, Heather here. You're listening to Sweet Velvet Love. Jazz smoother than butter dripping off of... Wait, no, I'm getting word that this is actually a podcast. Enjoy. Hello everyone, my name is Eddie Levy. And I'm Sari Rambo, and we play Anthony and Grace on Peacock's AP Bio. Okay, Sari, say that three times fast. Okay, uh, Peacock's AP Bio, Peacock's AP Bio. Moving on. Welcome, everyone, to the very first episode of the official AP Bio podcast, where we are going to give you an exclusive insider look into all things AP Bio. Yes, we'll be giving you guys all the tea on how this show got its start. Then we thought it'd be fun to take you guys down memory lane and recap our favorite moments from season one. We got to make sure you guys are fully up to speed for when season three premieres. But before we begin, we seriously want to thank all you guys. When we were canceled last year, it was really the fans that saved the show. Patton Oswalt launched an amazing hashtag Save AP Bio campaign, and you guys posted thousands of Save AP Bio tweets for months that made some major noise. And because of that, we now have a new home on Peacock, NBC Universal's new streaming service. We love being able to go back to school and do another round of AP Bio. When we're on set filming, we often forget how many people love this show, and being able to see the outpour of love from you guys was amazing. Yeah, and that's the reason why we're doing this. This is our love letter to all the AP Bio fans that fought to have more of this show. Well, Sari, I think Jack would be pretty displeased at how sentimental we got in the first minute of this, so shall we? Mm, You're right. We gotta stay on brand. Take it away, Jack. All right, everyone, shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Shut your mouth. Shut up. Shut your mouth. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Go ahead and start to shut up now. Eddie, how many times do you think we've heard Glenn say that line on set? <laughs> um, I've honestly lost count, and I find being told to shut up really triggering now. <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh, PTSD, man. Okay, Eddie, so before we begin, I love hearing your audition story. You have to tell everyone. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, my AP Bio audition was pretty painless, and I think that is my favorite part about the story. Um, Yeah, I just remember back in March 2017 getting an email from my agents at the time for the untitled Myers O'Brien Project. And I remember reading the full script and thinking it was really funny and, and looking at the material, and it was super simple. It was this one line in the rap that the students do in the pilot. And when you are given such a little amount of material, it's honestly a gift because then you can just make a really strong choice. So I remember, you know, spending a lot of time figuring out, okay, what would this character wear? And I instinctively wore a hoodie and a really fun t-shirt. And I brought in these really fun sunglasses to wear during the wrap. Um, and I just remember being in the waiting room and seeing so many character actors. Um, I think they were auditioning a lot of the student parts that day. I remember seeing Allison in the waiting room. Oh, that's so cute. And thinking she, yes. Right. And she had such a great look and just thinking, wow, like this is going to be a really cool group of, of kids that they're going to assemble. And yeah, I just sort of went in and did my thing. And Mike was there and Oz Rodriguez, our pilot director, was there and, and the casting directors were there. And again, it was so painless. It was in and out probably in 30 seconds. But I felt like I made a really good impression. And then 
you know, a couple hours later, I found out from my team that I was pinned, which for those of you who don't know, that means you're sort of in the top two to three candidates for the part. And then maybe a day or two after that, I found out that I booked the pilot, which was super exciting. It was my first network pilot at the time, and it was awesome. <laughs> uh, what about you, Sari? I mean, you had a really cool way into the show, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so I actually was not part of the pilot, but I did come in right after that. And I still remember having a bunch of auditions to prepare for, and I was very stressed about them. And then that night I got an audition for AP Bio. And I was like, okay, looked at the breakdown. My character at the time was known as Carla. Um, and it was just, it said very shy, super sweet girl in the classroom. So I actually based her off of a girl that I knew in high school. Then the next morning, it was my first audition of the day. I go in, I read once, and then I leave. I read with casting and that was it. And then before I knew it, I got a call from my manager and they were like, oh, you booked it. And I was like, wait, I'm sorry, what? I just had three auditions. I, I'm brain dead. I don't know which one you're talking about. And they were like, oh yeah, AP Bio, you're going to be on set for the next three months. And I was like, no way. I, I couldn't, I could barely believe it. I like had to go back to my emails and, and I read the breakdown again and it said recurring. And I was just so excited. It was very unexpected and it just happened so quickly. I got that call that I booked it. And then I had a wardrobe fitting two days later. And then I was on set the next day. It really happened that fast. Okay. So. Our first guest is our executive producer, creator, showrunner, basically the badass boss man, Mike O'Brien. That's right. Mike is a writer, actor, and stand-up comedian. In addition to AP Bio, he worked as a writer for years on Saturday Night Live, for which he was Emmy-nominated, and is also known for his hilarious sketch interview series, Seven Minutes in Heaven. More recently, Mike can be seen in the coming-of-age film Booksmart, which is hilarious, by the way, and Sword of Trust, which he also co-wrote. Let's get started. Hi, guys. Hi, Mike. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. We have a very serious question to start off with. There is video evidence of you pressuring Seth Meyers to put his tongue on your top lip because you, quote, like it wet and sloppy. Is there any correlation between this exchange and AP Bio getting made? <laughs> wow. I didn't realize this was like a hard hitting. This is like gotcha journalism. Yeah. We're, we're yeah, going for it. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't say a direct correlation, but I think because that went so well, um, uh, Seth probably signed on to, we were, we were bonded for life. So <laughs> it, it couldn't have hurt that I got, what was it? His tongue on my upper lip. This was for a video that must be 10 years ago now or something. Yeah. From uh, your series, seven minutes in heaven. I used I to get so nervous before seven minutes in heavens. I mean, <laughs> it's that it's it's the same thing, and then you add that you're a, really literally alone in a closet with this. Person <laughs> that I don't. Uh, a lot of them I didn't know at all, and I my I just like I would be reading questions, and my hands are shaking. <laughs> it's so. I mean, and Mike, you. I mean, I know some of those people were your friends, but like, I mean, I think the first episode isn't it Ellen. Is that one of the first I mean, episodes? She was in the first like 10 or so. And yeah, that's so nervous for people like Ellen, who I've been a fan of forever. And yeah, some really big names. Sometimes I'd met the person once when they hosted SNL, but 
certainly not like a casual um, uh, person. And then even like Will Ferrell, who I've met a bunch, I'm just like, you're like, I just, the Ferrell one has to be great. I'm so nervous. So nervous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and then you that... have to kiss them at the end, which adds a whole nother <laughs> <laughs> element to it. I know. So, Siri. Before we delve into the show, we would love to know, what were you like in high school? In high school, I was, um, I was pretty driven and, um, you know, I was in AP bio and I was, you know, I tried to get good grades and, and, um, was in a lot of activities as a vice president of the school and stuff. But I was also always really almost more importantly, trying to be funny. I don't know that I had it down yet, but I would, I would take a lot of swings at all times. I, I, wore a helmet when I drove, you know, at, uh, any chance I could <laughs> to do a, a dumb joke and, um, uh, try to get a laugh was, I was pretty obsessed with that, not knowing that would become my uh, career. <laughs> so I love the do- helmet. So Mike, why don't we start at the very beginning? Um, we know that you worked on SNL from 2009 to 2015. And the pilot of AP Bio wasn't shot until 2017. So what were you doing when you came up with the idea for AP Bio? Yeah, like you say, I was writing for SNL for six seasons. Um, so I, I knew in the back of my mind that that was probably my last full-time season there. I, w- I wasn't going to do a seventh. And that meant probably moving to LA because that's where all of our work is. If you're not in the handful of jobs like that in New York. Um, so I was really just scared to move to LA with nothing. So I wrote three pilots on off weeks that final SNL season and AP bio was one of them. Um, and so I was, um, um, thinking about, I think the inspiration is tough because it's obviously a combination of a lot of teachers and, and, uh, high school memories, but really more than anything, I feel like the inspiration was like, the experience of living in Manhattan and having this kind of fun life of going out all the time and all the excitement around SNL. And then on off weeks, flying back home to the Midwest, Michigan and Ohio and uh, being around friends and family there. And um, just kind of as I got older an appreciation for how great that was and my love of the Midwest and how um, uh, this character who thinks everything about the East coast is, is the goal and the real life, uh, getting, uh, stuck in the Midwest and learning to love it, um, was kind of the idea behind Jack. Um, and I changed obviously from SNL to being a Harvard professor. And, uh, but the idea would be like, if I had for some reason had to live at home for a year, what would I do? And would I grow to like it and grow to like the people? And, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I would and that anyone would. So, uh, that's the idea to put a curmudgeon in that exact scenario. Sometimes where people are like the show is about trashing Toledo because the main character calls it a, a garbage dump or whatever once in a while. <laughs> but every other character loves it and is really happy. And everything you see is is happy and bright and that people love their jobs and their friends and are having fun. And uh, the main character is coming around to that, obviously every episode he goes a little bit more towards that. So it's really more of a love letter than the two lines this season where he's like, I hate this place. So going off of that, could you actually walk us through the process of pitching this idea 
all the way through um, getting it greenlit to make the pilot? Yes. Um, so let's see. I start by I, I got Broadway attached because I, I was, you know, still um, connected to Lorne and um, wanted my uh, early projects and maybe uh, most of my projects will still be connected with him and everyone at Broadway Video. Um, uh, so I sent them the script and they liked it. We went together to Universal and did a uh, pitch to them and, and they were on board. And then you go to the more um, stressful one, which is um, a pitch to NBC. So I um, went in to um, their offices and you're at a, a conference table of like 20 or 30 people. And I'm, the main person I'm pitching to is Tracy Pacosta. She's who um, we had to sell it to. Oh, and a, a weird detail I was thinking about this uh, recently is that two days before that, I had a, a fairly traumatic face surgery. I have a big scar on my face that was uh, from a melanoma uh, skin cancer was removed there and it was very stressful. They had to take out a lymph node to make sure it hadn't spread, started heading to the lungs and all that. Um, and, uh, and they had to get this bump out right under my eyelid, which meant they had to do an incision all over my whole face. So it was all puffy and um, there were stitches and bright red. And they were like, do you want to move that pitch? And I was like, if we just start pushing it back, I'm worried it'll go away. And um, so I just went in and had to like make a joke at the beginning about like, uh, sorry, I cut myself shaving or something to try to light up <laughs> because it looked like I just. <laughs> <lost> <laughs> <up. Yeah>. um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Seth and Mike Shoemaker were on a video conference and basically I, I did the opening speech that uh, Jack does at the beginning of the pilot. My name's Jack Griffin, and I don't want to be here. I'm an award-winning philosophy scholar who, for reasons I won't go into, finds himself with a free year. So I'm living in my dead mom's apartment here in Toledo while killing a little bit of time teaching advanced placement biology. I talked about him, the other adult characters, and described maybe three <laughs> students and then talked about the pilot and a couple other general episode ideas. The whole thing was like 10 minutes. And then Tracy said, uh, well, we like it. Uh, let's do it. And so right, Wait, right then and there, right then and there. Yeah. It, which is, uh, yeah. How much time did you have to wait? Like in between pitching and then, you know, finding out, but literally instantaneous. Yeah. <laughs> which is so great when that happens. And it's, it's kind of rare. Um, they usually say we're going to go talk about it, but um, it, it was, and then she said, great job and got up and uh, most of the room cleared out. And I, it was just me and like Broadway and people. And I was like, what did that, did that, is that it? They bought it. And we actually got one of our other exec producers, Mike Shoemaker to give us some thoughts on when he initially read the script. Hi, I'm Mike Shoemaker, and along with Seth Meyers, I'm an executive producer of AP Bio. When Seth and I first saw the script, it was a fully formed, straight out of O'Brien's mind kind of show. You know, we like writers. We're, that's what we're into. And he's such a pure writer. And we knew that people were responding to the script. And that's such a great start, as opposed to everyone kind of like getting involved and shaping the show. The show was shaped, and we knew that... Um, uh, anything else that came would be extra. So 
they what they're buying there is for you to write the pilot script, which I had a rough draft of, but it, it needed a lot of work. And then um, you have like I, my timeline might be wrong, but a month or two to do that. And then and they bought a whole bunch of them. And then depending on how they like that draft, they say we're going to shoot five ish comedy half hours. So when you get that official word, okay, we're green lighting your pilot. What happens next? Yeah, for so for the pilot, I think one of the first things was director, and I um, wanted Oz Rodriguez because we'd made um, short films on SNL for seven years together, along with his directing partner Matt Valines. Um, and uh, so Oz was connected right away, and then Broadway was like, we have a great set designer named Skyler who did all the sets for Portlandia. So we grabbed him and um, Oz and I wanted Blake McClure to shoot it and be the DP. Uh, He'd done a lot of SNL stuff as well as other drunk history and stuff. And we started to assemble this team that um, uh, the network was a little like, this is a very indie team, you know, like (laughs) there's, there's no like parks and rec type credits on anyone's resume. So they were a little, a little hesitant about that. And now, you know, they're in love with Oz and try to get him to direct and, and um, they can, you know, barely book all these people now. Um, uh, not just because of AP bio, but, but at the time, you know, a good four years ago, at least it was just a little more like unsure. They, they admitted later that they were feeling worried about the team. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you get a department head for each department. Sarah Trost came in who did costumes for the first two seasons and she'd drawn she's a really good artist and she just has such an impressive interview because the night before she'll sketch outfits for all the main characters. And, um, and you just right away are like, Oh, this person gets every bit of, of what she's going to do with that. And then uh, auditions and casting. I mean, I'd actually love to go off of that and talk a little more in terms of casting. Um, Did you have, I mean, obviously like with Jack Griffin, you had an idea in mind. But when you're auditioning other roles, like say the students or the teachers, was there anything in particular that stood out to you? Yeah. So the um, casting of the other people was so fun, but it was it was hard because I had an idea of the types of people, but I was pretty open to like just the funniest person should win of uh, each each role, and so I never know if this is like fun or rude to do but I'll tell you some close second places <laughs> uh because Ooh. I'm such a fan of these people and and am going to always have them on my short list including for upcoming AP bio roles but Durbin had a ton of principal Durbin had a ton of uh auditions happening before we made an offer to Patton who ended Patton Oswald ended up being it but and he was an offer only but we were auditioning a ton of people and had narrowed it down to three that I loved, but they're so different and it's so intensely weird to picture the show with them, but they were Richard Kind, French Stewart and Mark Prooks. Um, Mark is, uh, you know, what we do in the shadows. And he ended up being a creepy guy in teacher jail in season one of AP bio. Yeah. So funny. And, but Richard Kind was like, would be more of this like hunched over neurotic principal and French Stewart from Third Rock from the Sun was just quirky and weird. And all the audition lines 
he said in a rhythm I didn't expect. And so I was laughing at all three of them and we kept bringing them back. And then we gave Patton an offer um, and uh, he took it. And we, I just have always been like, well, the show would be so different. I always try to picture them, um, but I'm so happy with Patton. And, and just those three guys are three of the funniest ever that, that we'll keep finding places for. Um, but that was really interesting. And then um, Anthony was going to be Idris Elba. <laughs> and Grace was actually Meryl Streep for like a week. <laughs> oh, oh and then, uh, we went a different direction. Eddie, we beat out Meryl Streep. Wow. I feel really honored. Right I'm now. honored. I, I'm done. <laughs> I can retire. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. I wow, that that would have been such a different show. Um, <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. I just remembered another funny moment where I, I don't understand the inner workings of this because it's in the Lorne world. But there mm-hmm. was a moment where um, we had to kind of um, entertain the idea that Alec Baldwin might be the lead character actor of Jack and. I just was worried that I'd always pictured the character to be younger because the idea should be like his career was on the up and then it gets paused and he has to go live in Toledo and then he learns to love it where Baldwin seems like if his career got paused, a character he's playing, he could consider retiring if he really had been nailing it for 40 years he hopefully savings account (laughs) i don't know it's just let it's just different and and but for whatever reason they're like baldwin's calling you today and you have to talk about whether he's going to be the lead guy and i was like i don't know if i if there's a way i can tell him no i you know he's so talented and (laughs) first time showrunner like a week into having a show and all of a sudden i'm on the phone with him and he's like look mike the script is really funny um, it, it, it's, it's great. It seems like it should be a younger guy though. Right. And I was like, yeah, great. Uh, we're on the same age. He's like, we, we both just had to do this phone call cause, uh, we love our uncle Lorne or something like that. I was like, absolutely. And it, <laughs> wow. I'm dead at that. <laughs> I'm not okay. <laughs> but I would also love to talk about shooting the pilot in Long Beach. We were shooting in a real high school that was in session. So as you recall, Eddie, every 40 minutes, a shot was ruined by the bell and uh, the halls <laughs> is still up. You, I just can picture walking to crafty exhausted and just having like a hundred teenagers around you as you're getting your like caffeine and snacks at crafty. It was, it was bizarre to be in a real high school, but also kind of helpful because we, Oz and I were like, I don't remember a lot of small details from high school. And also I think it's probably different now. Um, and so we would just walk around and be like, how often do they always all have earbuds in? And we just walk around and observe high schoolers like they were, <laughs> we were at a zoo or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you shoot the pilot and then moving on into post, we actually heard in another interview that when you tested the pilot to audiences, 85% of people thought it was a Netflix show, which is really cool. Um, How important to you was it to have a look and a feel that was a sort of fresh take um, for a more like traditional broadcast audience? 
Yeah, I, I, Oz and I were both really excited about trying to make it look and feel a little different. We're both big comedy fans and it felt like um, for a while everything was handheld and a lot of them were those like documentary style with testimonials and everything. Uh, Modern Family, The Office, all those Parks and Rec had that vibe. And so I think it just swings back and forth. If it had been the other way, we would have gone to handheld, but we instead wanted everything locked down and very composed, kind of a Wes Anderson look and feel. Oz and Blake kind of came up with the vibe of the color scheme being a little off with just my general note that I wanted the high school to look really bright and happy all the time. And I think we've, we've toned that down a little bit since the pilot, but um, um, those were the thoughts on that, that, um, that we wanted very composed, intentional shots all the time which sometimes makes our days now a little more tedious than when you just have handheld and you just say, roll it and, and run around and shoot everything. Um, but I, I, I love the look and feel of the show. And, um, and, and the music uh, was a little Wes Anderson inspired kind of um, uh, the scoring. Initially we had put in some from Grand Budapest hotel and really? so a little bit of the, yeah, the percussions and stuff were our composer, Jeff Cardoni's, own take on um that general vibe um so so that those were the inspirations we we were watching a lot of we watched election and rushmore and all these high school things and we're like let's let's do a little bit of this let's avoid that and just a lot of fun artistic discussions around that yeah that's awesome and then how did you come to um the theme music by the ramones i I think is such a great I feel it's like the perfect song. Well. I love it. Um, and I had, I just have a folder of songs that I'm constantly adding to that. I, I do, you know, I dip into f- even whenever we have like a, a song in the show, a licensed music, that's not our own um, scoring. Um, and so I don't remember where I got this, but I had that, I'd gotten obsessed with that being the song, the Ramon song. And then I took a bunch of black and white photos of like students in the 1950s, high school students, like raising their hand and all these photos I just grabbed from Google and made a slideshow to that song. And I I thought maybe that might be the opening credits. And um, I sent that to Glenn when we were kind of courting him. And he was like, I love this song and the vibe you're going for and everything from that. So it, I don't have the exact moment, but it was, it was earlier than, we even had Glenn. Sort of wrapping up this origin story part of our interview, just a quick little fun question. Where were you when you found out that the show got picked up to series? Uh, I was in my apartment in Silver Lake um, in LA, and um, I remember the phone call really well. We're very excited that we are going to be picking up AP Bio. So you can drink that champagne. Yeah! We love the show. Yeah, we love the show so much, and you did such a good job. So, you know, celebrate. We're thrilled. We we are thrilled. (laughs) I just am nervous and not saying anything, and it sounds like the 20 people on the line are looking for me to say more. And I just keep going, cool, 
great. <laughs> <laughs> then I, I loosened up and, and went and called friends and family and celebrated. Oh, so you find out you're like super excited. You are making an entire season of your show. So what was it like making that jump from just doing the pilot and putting all your time and effort into that one project to making an entire season as a showrunner? I mean, I, I can very clearly remember my first day in the writer's room. I was so nervous. A, a lot of times, if someone hasn't run a show before, they'll assign a more experienced showrunner to your show, and, and they didn't with me, which was so lucky and cool. Um, but yeah, I was like, I don't, I'd only really been in one half hour writer's room with um, uh, Simon Rich's show, Man Seeking Woman. And thank God, because I learned a ton from that. And um, so I was just like, but, but is Simon's the standard of how you do, do you do a speech on the first day? Do you just, how do you start generating stories and ideas? And just, um, it was so overwhelming and exciting. Um, and I, I fell in love with it by the end of the first day. I, I was exhausted. I remember being like, oh, you have to, you have to be present all day in a way that um, you don't have to if you're one of the writers. If you're the showrunner, you have to listen to every single idea all eight to 10 hours and respond afterwards. You can't kind of look at your pen and think for a minute. And because I was doing that in the first week and I'd look up and be, everyone was staring at me and I was like, what was the last thing said? Uh, I don't. <laughs> let's go back five minutes. I kind of spaced out and you get better at it. But um, yeah. yeah, that was uh, overwhelming and exciting to try to all of a sudden write. And, and we were on a stricter timeline too, where we knew we had to be rolling camera on an episode. And I forget how long, a month or something, not long. And then they, they were going to start coming after that and, and not stop. So um, it was amazing and kind of a blur. Awesome. That's and here awesome. we are, three years later. <laughs> and here we are, yes. The world is about to see season three. Extra credit time. This is a segment where we highlight some, if you blink, you miss it, moments on the show. And we think it's such a testament to the level of collaboration and creativity that goes into each episode. Absolutely. So, did you know that in the episode, We Don't Party, at timestamp 429, you will see Victor's English class. But all the students sitting in those desks were carefully hand-selected so that each student is the opposite gender of the normal AP bio class. So, there's a female Anthony and a male Grace in their respective seats. Isn't that crazy? Oh, you have to go back and check it out. Well, now, since this is the first episode of Anybody the Podcast, we thought it'd be great to sort of do a season one recap. So when we asked you sort of prior to this interview to give us some of your favorite moments of AP Bio season one, the first one that sort of stuck out happened in episode 109, where the episode sort of culminates with Jack drowning a bunch of these simulator babies into the school pool at Whitlock, which is absolutely crazy. Um, tell us a little bit about this moment and, and what it means to you. Yes, that the drowning the babies was uh, definitely in my top three of season one. Um, like one of the things we brainstorm in the writer's room is images or moments as much as um, stories. 
we obsess over just an image and then we can't get a story around it. Um, and sometimes we go the other order, but this, this was an image we had come up with early on uh, when you're just talking about like, what is the chaos that Jack can bring to this high school? And for some reason we were like, what if for some reason he had to drown all the, those health, health class, take care of a baby, robot babies, and uh, so him in the pool, looking down on him with like a hundred drowned babies face down around him was a thing we always talked about. And we didn't have anything, we didn't have a full story. And we always had it in the back of our minds that just NBC would block it. It's too weird and kind of dark. And so we finally came up with the story that Durbin bought them for cheap. And so they're malfunctioning. And the only way to, make them be quiet is to um, get them wet. And so we got there and we were all so happy. And I remember the day where I uh, pitched it to NBC or, or gave them the, the two page out, outline or, or um, story area. And then the phone call about it. And as walked out of the writer's room, like, here we go. And they didn't say anything about the babies. They were, I, I forget what the notes were, but they were about something else. They were about the, the story with the boy, uh, the mom's boyfriend. And, um, so yeah, I came back in the room and we all jumped up and down where we were, like, we're going to get to drown babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh and we actually talked to Maggie Carey about her experience with these babies. Hey everyone. It's Maggie Carey. I directed episode 109 of AP bio Rosemary's boyfriend. Um, I still have the test video I shot of holding the robot babies underwater with Mike O'Brien, Barbara Stoll, one of my favorite producers, and the prop master, Nicole Ruby. So on this video, you can hear me asking over and over, like while I'm shooting the little babies underwater, I'm like, is this too much? Is this too dark? And I'm going to tell you, yeah, certain angles of robot babies underwater with bubbles coming out of their cute mouths, it was too dark. So can I just say those robot babies, they were total a-holes once they got in the water. They would not hold still. We had two guys in wetsuits trying to corral like 90-some babies around Glen. They were connected with fishing wire. That was craziness. However, the most important part of the scene, Glenn's performance, was awesome. And the scene came out great. And I'm actually extremely proud of the episode. <laughs> Technical difficulties aside, of course. Do you guys remember shooting that with Maggie Carey was directing and I, I yes. forget I, I remember there was actually before pre-drowning of the babies there was this a moment that we were trying to get with my character where it was like Sarika was really freaking out about these babies because they wouldn't stop crying and then it like cuts to Grace and she's like the perfect mother with like five babies in her hands <laughs> and I just remember like working with props and Maggie would have to come over and like help me put all the babies in my hand. I was like cross-legged holding like literally, I think five to six babies in my hand. And it was just so much fun to shoot because I like Grace as a character. She's so fun. And she was just like, yeah, everything's great. I'm fine. I'm holding all these babies and it's, and it's working. Remember with me, I had that wrap or that CR, I don't know what to call it. And, you know, they were sort of like, you know, there's a lot of sort of collaboration on set because we had to work with props and then we had to work with costumes to make sure we could have that thing, the wrap on me with the baby and just working that all out. And I just remember it was, it felt like a real team effort to make that happen. I remember 
like walking in and seeing the set for the first time we were like there are so many babies (laughs) i wanted more babies Uh, (laughs) but uh that was um i have to say one one of the best parts about um working on the show is are the students and and how everyone is so happy and enthusiastic while being really skilled at your jobs and um it's so rare and exciting. And and the last thing I'll say about that is, is Eddie, one of my favorite images is that where you've got the baby, your baby is like face out um, in a, the Bjorn or rap or whatever you call it. And um, we, the babies had this creepy blinking they would do. And we tried, we had it. So your yes. sleep and you're blinking and the baby's blinking gets synced up and which took a little bit of finessing, but it, it produced Maybe my favorite chat uh, other than <laughs> I think that was in the script that moment. So I remember I talked to props at the time and I was like, hey, can I take this home? Because I kind of want to like practice in my mirror on my webcam just to like make sure I can sync this up and that, um, you know, it's it, it's hard to sometimes do something like that when you have, you know, 10 minutes on set to just work it out and then the camera is rolling. So I did take the baby home now that I remember correctly. <laughs> okay. So moving on to your, one of your other favorite moments of AP bio season one, walleye episode one eleven, directed by Tristram Shapiro. Um, so we'd love to just hear more going back to how AP bio was a little bit inspired by your love of your hometown what was it like bringing this show back home and, and shooting on location? It was awesome. We So Tristram was unavailable to do it. It was right after we actually yes. shot the episode. And so we got another of our favorite directors, Payman Benz, um, to uh, fly to Toledo with a, a small crew of people. And um, and it was a blast. We, we ran all over town. I forget, but it was something like, eight to 10 different locations, including uh, actual um, Toledo walleye hockey game. There was a weird thing where it lined up where they were playing a 10 a.m. game that day because one game a year they do for children. So it was, the place was packed with elementary school age kids, which is weird because that's not, that, that would, you'd be like, why is Jack, and Miles and everyone at a game with only children around them. So we kind of had to, we shot Jack and those guys in a stadium out in LA. And, um, and then, but the super wide shots that you are actual hockey shots um, of a real game, you, it, you might not notice, but it, it's all kids. <laughs> if you, I don't know if you can go back and see that, but they're I'll have all to go back. six year olds. And just screaming. There's just a wall of sound of screaming kids that you never hear at any game, hockey game, a high-pitched din. And before we continue, we actually got in touch with Payman Benz to hear a little bit more about his experience directing this sequence. Hi, my name is Payman Benz. I was the director of the Toledo montage in season one. We knew we had very limited time at each location, so I had to be very exact with the shots I wanted and what the sequence was going to be in the final edit. So it was working with Mike and letting him know, hey, this is how I see this playing out. And, you know, we were kind of finding bits as we were scouting and shooting. Um, so it was it was very specifically planned 
but with a little bit of leeway for run and gun. Um, and it was, you know, I, I didn't get any shots that I didn't need. I only got shots that, you know, we were positive were going to be in the edit. As far as what was the most difficult, it, probably the walleye game, just because we really needed to get um, footage of a goal, of the walleye scoring a goal. I just didn't want... I didn't want them to be in the edit bay and have to like Frankenstein something together and make it look like a goal. So, you know, hockey is very, uh, it's a very difficult game to score in and we weren't sure if we were going to get it. And we shot in uh, two or three different locations in the arena. And right when we got to our ideal location, as far as like where the camera was set up, the Toledo walleye scored like two quick goals and we got exactly what we wanted. So we got really lucky. It all worked out in the end and it looks gorgeous. So, and then we got out of that and pack up and race to the museum. And everyone was so nice to us and so excited that a real uh, film crew was shooting in Toledo. And we were like alone in this area of the museum and that was beautiful. And then we raced over to this movie theater to get them walking out of a the, the mommy indoor movie theater, which is this historic theater in Toledo. And we set up across the street and um, my, my parents and my siblings and nephews and nieces all showed up. So it was me and my family and Payman standing next to the camera. And it was surreal and cool. And, and I wish, I wish we get to, got to shoot more in Toledo. Um, someday that's the goal is, is to, to do like a week there every, every season and, and just get a lot of exteriors and little bits of, of, of some snow and stuff too. Um, and then um, the last moment we would love to sort of recap with you is Drenching Dallas, which was our Sadie Hawkins dance episode. It's, um, I, we knew we were going to talk about this episode and, and it's a little hard to talk about now because since we planned this podcast, uh, the director and our friend Lynn Shelton passed away very surprisingly and this was that was the week where we all met her and fell in love with her. I, I can picture her in Video Village. She's always eating weird stuff. She had a very healthy like grain or whatever natural diet, and she was eating like a sweet potato with nothing else. And just turned to me and started chatting. And um, by the end of the week, we were like really good friends. And I have a memory also of of the wrapping all the students where. Um, Sochi, the first AD, was like, hey, the final shot was all the students dancing. And um, she said, let's just go join them once we have the shot. And so me and Lynn and Sochi came out and danced with you guys. And um, uh, then uh, Lynn and I became good friends and ended up um, going to Kentucky for a week together and just staying in a house together and brainstorming this movie, um, Sword of Trust, which ended up being her last movie. And it's all really um, still a shocking, hard thing. But um, I've also been doing a, a week of um, Zoom memorials for her. Um, so it's it's very um, hard and emotional right now that um, she um, she passed away very suddenly of leukemia. And this was Lynn's episode. So it, we were going to talk about all the fun of of trying to get the dumping the blood in one shot, which she got and all that. But Mostly, I just wanted to talk about Lynn for a minute. Of course. And we, um, you know, we loved Lynn. We were 
if she we're being completely there. candid, we, um, our producer Katie and Sarah and I were on the phone and we were starting to reach out to people about getting sound bites for this podcast. And we were making our target list and Lynn was at the top of the list from, from day one. And I was like, you know what? I just, I want to hold off because I feel like we need to have like an hour interview with Lynn because yeah. we love her so much. And we, we just admired her, not only what she brought to AP bio, but she was just so warm and inviting and, and, and reflecting on that last day of set, you know, for us, the end of this experience was very emotional for a lot of us kids on the show. This was the first sort of steady job that we had. You know, we filmed the first season over three, three and a half months. And it was, it was hard to say goodbye because you never know what, what's going to happen in the future with television and to have the perfect last episode and the perfect last shot of us all dancing. And then, to have Lynn be such a huge part of that. And, and, and I just, it's, it's to this day, my favorite day on set ever. It was, it was honestly the most magical experience. And like you said, Eddie, like I was talking to some other crew members on, on the show and they said the same thing. They said, hands down, that is my favorite moment on set ever. And it's just like a testament to her and how special she was able to make everyone feel. And just being able to be around such a positive light was such an honor and a pleasure. She also did nuns in season two. So we had Lynn for two episodes, which um, we were lucky to get that amount of time with her. And and I just, her direction in that was amazing. It's one of my favorite episodes that um, she, there was a great scene where Glenn has to really cry super hard. And um, he's, the character feels horrible about not being there for his mom when she was dying. And so it's a heavy scene for a comedy and Glenn's a Juilliard trained, amazing actor. So he was like, I'm going to go there and do it, you know? And so that was like one of the most intense half hours on any set I've ever been on. It was dead silent without the first AD yelling anything. And um, Lynn was sitting like four feet from Glenn. Sometimes the director is down the hall or something and she was just off camera and she was like whispering to him and he's crying real hard. And um, she, instead of like yelling cut uh, going again or whatever, everyone yells on set, she was just whispering. She would go, that was lovely. Let's, let's do that again. And it, you could just hear a pin drop in the whole crew. I've never heard. No one was walking quietly around in the background and Glenn gave this amazing performance and Lynn was just like supporting and coaxing it. And, it was a magical time. And I was like, Oh, I, I hope someday I can be a director that actors think of like Lynn is. And, and um, yeah. Like you said, there's a lot of directors who like to just sit by video village and yell things at you from, from that side. And that's perfectly fine and great. And, but Lynn is one of those directors that she's like in it with you in the room, like just a couple feet away, really working with you to like get your best to get, like get the best performance out of you. And so it feels like, teamwork versus I'm performing and doing something for this other person. It, it's just more collaborative. Like that was my favorite thing about having Lynn direct because it, she's really making it happen. Like with us, like we're all working together. So. Yeah. Yeah. Like a true actor's director. Yeah. So. I, I feel like we should uh, post on Instagram, this great photo of Eddie and um, Lynn 
that I don't know if it's from that day, it's a classroom day. And, and my memory of what was happening was that she was, tr I think, trying to get, you tell me if I'm right on this and people can go look at the photo, but um, I think she was trying to get Jacob McCarthy mm -hmm. to make some sort of like oohs and ahs, uh, like, but I don't remember what it was supposed to be about. Like he, he was hungry or something but it was coming across as kind of lightly sexual or something. Is that, is that yes. what? <laughs> exactly. Lynn and Eddie are so at the monitor crying, laughing. Again, we, I forget the exact moment, but it was some sort of reaction shot. He's just such an innovative actor that Lynn and I could barely hold it together. <laughs> it was, it, it was incredible. And I, I remember that and moment vividly. And that photo is, um, it's one of my favorites and again sharing that with her was was everything so yeah and i i remember from the kids perspective i believe it was this episode where you know we obviously us kids are in the classroom a lot and these classroom days can can go on for you know 10 12 hours depending on how many scenes and i remember we had this classroom day we we're going to be in the classroom for all all day and um Lynn is very efficient and she moves really fast and she knows what she wants and she, she gets it done. And we, we thought we were going to be in the classroom for at least 10 hours and we were done before lunch. So we were done in five to six hours. It was like shocking. I remember the kids just rejoiced. We were screaming. We were like, because we were, we were, I just remember we were all complaining like, Oh, it's going to be a long day. Da da da. And then we were like, Oh, we're done. <laughs> and I remember I was like, go home and watch a Lynn Shelton movie with your free time. Like, watch one of our movies. I was like, we're done before lunch. Like, it, it's really unheard of. Um, even even now, like, you know, yeah. these things take time, but she somehow got it done. And I just remember us kids being so happy. And, you know, I when we heard the news about her, we were all in, in our group chat and just we were talking about how she was our favorite and we we just loved her and her energy and and how shocking and devastating this this news was and um just reminiscing about the, the great memories we had with her okay mike time for your pop quiz we are going to quiz you on some ap bio trivia are you ready go so describe season one of ap bio in five words um, uh, Jack and kids, adults too. <laughs> That's good. What are Anthony and Grace's last names? Oh, Anthony Lewis and Grace. I, I'm gonna not be able to do. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I didn't even know I had a last name until on, you know, the student council episode, there's like plaque, there's right. like a placard. So they gave me, a, I had a last name, it was Grace Nelson. Nelson, so I, wow. I'm yeah, Nelson. I think at this point, almost everyone does. But yeah, you don't hear them much. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's the title of Miles' book? Uh, Miles' book. Uh, <laughs> I have a terrible memory. This is, that <laughs> game is awful. Um, I feel like it, oh, oh, Mike Shoemaker came up with it. It's a little cheesy intentionally um but I, I can't get it it's like 
uh, a philosophy <laughs> for dummies type name, but yeah, <laughs> it's um, the question is the answer. Yes, yes. <laughs> By the end of season one, how many women has Jack slept with? 26. Okay. So currently at the end of season three, how many women has Jack slept with? 27. <laughs> <laughs> 26, right? Is that what he writes on the board that one time? Okay, we thought 20, it was 24. It's 25. Well, he says he's and then he sleeps with um it's one more with um with what's his name's daughter right and then we're assuming he has slept with Lynette we hope so um okay that, by the okay. way that that was discussed for hours in the writers room that never really? go up a little down a little because we were like yeah anyway what is the address of Jack's dead mom's apartment no idea but I'll say see if subconsciously it was in there two eleven oak. <laughs> We have no idea either. Trick question. Okay, what does Jack, what does Jack make for the bake sale at the end of episode one hundred and three? Uh, it is a, a word I'd never heard before. They're like cheesy, puffy, sweet things. Uh, I forget. It's a French word. We'll give it <laughs> yes, to you. It, it's croque. I don't even know how do you say it. Croquembouche. Yes. Okay. What is the name of Dan Decker's little brother? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> He's on the Jumbotron. What is his name? Yeah, I don't know. Stevie? <laughs> Jeffy. Jeffy. <laughs> which now, with your fun fact about how the game was a bunch of elementary school kids, it's actually kind of yeah. cool that Dan was there with his brother. What are MSM's and Durbin's favorite TV show in episode 110? Ah. <laughs> it's got the nun with the blood tear. Um, oh, it's it's called like... Like Nebraska exclamation point, but not Nebraska. It's Wyoming. 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 Okay. <laughs> Last question. I'm o, o for o for ten, so this is the big one. <laughs> I know. I haven't been keeping. You track, got number one. There was some. Um, I think you got the one where any any answer was okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> can you recite Heather's catfishing monologue from the pilot? Yeah, uh, maybe. Um, let's see if I can work backwards from the end. I know it ends, drip, slurp, yum, give me that wet, hot sugar mess. Um, so I'm guessing the beginning would be something like, um, hey, big guy. Uh, <laughs> I, that's, I'm missing some stuff in the middle. And then I know Jack says, remember, this would be the first message he's receiving from you. Hey, boy, you're smooth like butter dripping off of chocolate. Gonna lick you up and down. Drip, slurp, yum. Give me that sweet, wet sugar mess. <laughs> you get extra credit for knowing the next line. We try to be word perfect on your show, Mike. So, <laughs> yeah. expectation for you. Yeah. Okay, Mike, I think you failed, but um, <laughs> thanks for trying. Yeah. A for effort. A for yeah. effort. Well, Mike, <laughs> We love yeah. you and the show so much. And um, it's been so much fun. You. This for was us. great. And it's so great to have you on as our first guest. Uh, this was so much fun. I'm so glad you guys did this. And it's so fun working with you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, this was a blast. Well, that's our show. I think we did okay for the first episode, right? Eddie, we get an A no matter what we do. Remember? Oh, that's right. <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everyone. And don't forget, Season 3 of AP Bio begins streaming on Peacock starting September 3rd. 
And if you liked what you just heard, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never be late for class. And if you really liked it, a nice review would really boost our GPA. We'd also love to thank our producer, Katie Wadsworth, and sound engineer, Huckabara, for making this possible. Be sure to tune in for the next one, where we'll be doing a recap of season two. Ah, it's going to be amazing. And we also wanted to dedicate this first episode in loving memory of Lynn Shelton. Yes, she was such a force in this industry, and we are forever grateful for the chance to work with such an incredible talent. Thank you for everything, Lynn. We love you.